the Workforce Connections Podcast, where we discuss workforce development in Southern Nevada. Here's your host. Hi, and welcome to the WC Podcast. Today's episode, we have a very special guest, President of UNLV, Dr. Keith Whitfield. Keith, welcome to the podcast. Very good to be here, Jaime. And, you know, you are a friend of Workforce Connections already. We, uh, I remember you hit the ground running when, you, when we first met you. We've already uh, uh, started to work on some initiatives. You've made your staff very available to us to work on industry sector partnerships. One of the things, Keith, that you exemplify is a spirit of collaboration. And so I know that I'm not the only one that sees that. Our, our other colleagues on the LVGA, um, Dr. Jesus Jara, Dr. Federico Zaragoza, Dr. Diriam Pollard, I think we all are grateful that you're here and we're looking forward to all the great collaboration that we're going to have uh, together in the next year. So, so with that, I wanted to ask you a, a few questions. Number one, as you know, we're evolving into a skills-based economy. Now, that doesn't mean that we still don't need the academic structure that we've had because we still need doctors and engineers and architects and all those, uh, if you will, occupations. But there are different levels of post-secondary talent acquisition now. And as you know, with Workforce Connections, one of our main goals is to make sure that there is the right talent pool for our employers here locally. And you're our partners in that. So first of all, how has the past couple of years affected how UNLV does enrollments and how it produces that talent pipeline? Yeah, so um, that's an interesting question. I want to take one half a step back and say the people that you just mentioned are uh, actually collaboration doesn't work if this, there's not somebody on this side of the table that wants to collaborate with you. And so Superintendent Jara and and Dr. Pollard and Dr. Zaragoza, um, it's been an interesting that we all carry forward that same kind of sense of collaboration and that we have our own institutions, we have our own entities that we have to run and operate, but that there's so much we can do as we partner together and use limited resources together to actually make a difference that I think we're going to be successful. Um, but relative to your question, um, you know, we have been doing a little bit of everything, trying to make sure that we keep college first and foremost in front of uh, young people's minds as one of the opportunities. Uh, one of the other populations that we're doing more with, but we've still got to do more. And that's, um, it's, it has lots of different names to it, but it's adults with some college, but no degree. And we want to try to engage them if they've got ideas for things that they want to do to be able to advance themselves in their career or maybe make a career change. Um, sometimes that they need that four-year degree, and we want to make sure that they understand that UNLV is a good place to do that. Yeah, and, and I like that, that there is a – I never thought about that. There, I always thought, you know, there's the people with no college uh, and then the people, of course, with college, but there is probably a large number of people that have some level of college. And so you're focusing on trying to uh, increase their engagement with you. Yeah, and, and it's so funny because – um, I have not gotten the exact numbers around here, but one estimate is something like 300,000. That's a lot. And so it's a lot of people. And what we understand at UNLV is some of those people are our people. Some of those people came from California. They came from other places. Um, but we want to make sure that they think about UNLV as one of those options, depending on what they're interested in doing for the future. And even engaging UNLV to think about what they want to do for the future. And does that make sense? You know, how much training will it take? Um, that's one of the things that I've always appreciated about you is that uh, around the idea of workforce, that there's just multiple levels. There are some things that an associate's degree or actually a certificate 
is a perfect thing to be able to engage and be able to, to find other job opportunities and, and things that are changing in our economy. There's other things that need an associate degree. There are other things that need a four-year degree. And just as you said, like doctors, there are ones that need advanced training as well. And all of those things are workforce. I think sometimes we forget that. We think about the welders and plumbers. Yeah, they're essential, but there's lots of things that all are about workforce, that if we pay attention to it, do it right, support um, the aspirations of people and being able to find ways to be able to get them trained, find opportunities for them, that we're going to make our economy across the valley better. And I love to sit down when you guys are, are talking about that, again, the colleagues that you mentioned, because at the end of the day, at the last dinner I attended with you all, uh, you know, we all use different terms, but what employers are looking for are, is talent. And I heard you and Dirian, you know, and Jesus all say, yeah, talent. It's, it's all talent, talent development. And, and we all agreed that it starts with Jesus at K through 12. That's We send our kids to school, not just to get a certificate, but to make themselves sufficient one day so they can be, you know, take care of themselves. So that's the earliest piece of the pipeline in, in the talent development uh, realm. Uh, Keith, I came here to Las Vegas in 1987, and uh, there was only 300, 375 people in this valley. Uh, the best part of it was that uh, I, as an immigrant, wanted to learn uh, better English or get better command of the language, and so I enrolled in ESL at UNLV. And uh, one of the coolest things that happened to me, because in South America, basketball isn't big, it's soccer. But uh, one of the students told me, hey, have you bought your ticket for tonight's game? I can't remember if it was a dollar, but it was really cheap. And so I went to my first basketball game at the Thomas and Mac. And lo and behold, you know, the team had Larry Johnson and Anderson Hunt and Stacey Ogman. And so I was fortunate to see that generation of, of UNLV basketball that made its, its mark nationally, won a national championship. And so, you know, I always wanted to uh, have uh, a rebel in the family, if you will. And so my daughter gave me that pleasure. I know you've heard oh, this story. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My daughter came back from uh, California after a ba basketball scholarship and, and enrolled in the Doctorate of Physical Therapy program at UNLV, graduated almost two years ago now. And so I do have a rebel in my family. I actually have a, a, a T-shirt that I will not throw away because my daughter says it has holes, but it says UNLV Physical Therapy. <laughs> and I told her it's the most expensive T-shirt <laughs> I've ever, <laughs> but one that I wear very proudly. And so uh, again, I saw her, the reason I tell you that story is because I saw my daughter graduate virtually. You know, you remember the pandemic, all these adjustments. She graduated virtually. I also observed many students across the, the, the nation, perhaps the world, attend classes virtually. So the question would be, Keith, are we past that era where, you know, we were forced into this pandemic situation? Uh, are we going back to business as usual or is there a new normal or is it somewhere in between? Yeah, it's so funny, Jaime, because the new normal, um, people don't like it now. They, they don't like that as, a, as an adage, but there's going to be a new normal. We're not going to go back to where we were before. We cannot undo what has been done. We cannot unexperience what's been experienced. And in higher ed, one of the challenges is, is trying to figure out how much of what we learned from that, hey, we can do things remotely. Hey, there's some advantages to it. I think for especially for our population, who um, we we have a we have a most of our students don't live on campus, and so they are always coming from someplace. So even for them trying to arrange life, having a little bit of flexibility is actually a good thing. And so there's the positive that for our faculty. Interestingly enough, some of them. 
they're good teachers, and for whatever reason, when they get behind the camera, they shine. They're even better. And so it's trying to figure out for who actually instruction works better, both on the student side and for the faculty side, and trying to figure out even, I mean, we could, we could get off on this and I could talk about it for forever. I mean, looking and thinking about operations for the university. Um, are there ways in which we should bring people together and close a building because we don't have as many people with that same footprint? Um, we were just talking today about remote, remote work policies of working a couple of days at home and because people got used to it. And so we're never going to completely undo it, but um, higher ed, the challenges is trying to figure out how much of that do we take going forward. For UNLV at least you know, while I'm at the helm, we are an in-person, we're a brick-and-mortar sort of place. We're not going to be a completely online university, but we want to grow our online. We want actually want to not only grow our online where people are someplace else, we want to bring more people from someplace else to us. We want to grow our international students. And so um, all of that is mixed in with this new reality that we're dealing with uh, and trying to figure out how you use technology to actually even make some of those situations even better. Uh, like, for example, there's these fascinating things for PowerPoint now where it will speak different languages. So as you can imagine, um, we are tied for the most diverse campus in the country. And the large part, actually, we're a minority-majority institution with 33% of our students being Hispanic. Wouldn't it be great if anybody who wanted to turn on the little teleprompter could have Spanish going past while they're while they're speaking. I mean, there's little things like that that are, we're trying to figure out all the new technological advances that have come out and try to figure out how then you make the best college experience with that. You mentioned something really um, meaningful that we are tied for the most diverse university in the nation. Did I hear you correctly? There's, I don't like to talk about it because I like to just say that we're the most diverse, yeah. <laughs> but there's three other schools and I can't wow. even remember which ones they are because I pay attention to UNLV, but we're, um, we've always, we've, we've been for a long time uh, in the, like the top five. But I think the year before, last year um, we were two or three. And this year we're tied with a bunch as, as the most diverse. And there's some other piece of it. Because actually if you look at NSC, NSC has uh, a very diverse population as well. I think it's that, you know, Research One uh, institution. We're one of only 21 Hispanic serving institutions. That's a Research One institution. In the country, that makes us also very unique. Um, and so, yeah, we, we have that moniker that we're actually very, very proud of, uh, in part because it just means that we have a diverse campus. And um, I had a student, has got such smart students, they were like, well, that's just about the numbers. What does that really mean? I'm like, hey, that's a really good point. Um, what it means is, is that you're going to come to a place where everybody isn't the same. And there's an opportunity to learn when you're learning from people who are different from you. And one of the things that's my hope, um, and again, we have an incredible faculty at UNLV, that we do more of this is trying to figure out a way that you put difference into the curriculum. So there should be more team working sorts of situations where you're going to work with somebody who they're from, you know, Simi Valley and, and you know, they grew up in a single family home and, you know, I, I grew up on the south side of Chicago and all of these people come together and they start sharing their experiences. That will produce a better educated student by having that diversity. Absolutely. Uh, and I'm glad to hear that, Keith, because I worked for 20 years in the hospitality industry here on the Strip before this, working for Workforce Connections. And 
it is the most diverse uh, workforce in the world there on the Strip, people from all over the world. And so it's great to hear that UNLV and Nevada State College is marrying that. And uh, before I ask you my next question, it's so interesting you mentioned Simi Valley because that's where my daughter spent four years in college. <laughs> I used to go watch her play there in Simi Valley. What a beautiful area. Um, my next question has to do, with, again, with the, the future workforce. Again, um, Dr. Jar, our superintendent, you and I, uh, sit on the LVGA. We've heard about the workforce blueprint. We've heard about these seven industry sectors that we as a region are targeting to diversify our economy. And again, it's our job, all of us, to make sure that these employers have that sustainable talent pipeline that again starts with Jesus and goes all the way to you um, and more. And so we're doing some things already. I don't know if you knew this, but in a few weeks, uh, we will be opening, CCSD will be inaugurating a brand new career technical academy on the site of the old Bishop Gorman High School on Maryland Parkway. It is the first school in the nation, uh, and let me say that again because it's really important, no other school in the nation was designed and built to have an American Job Center or one of Workforce Connections' one-stop centers there on site. So the young people and their families will have access to our resources. They won't have to go on a bus and come to another one of our locations. It will be right there. And it's the first time again in the nation. So there are some great things that are happening. I know you've read about it too. About a month ago, we were in the paper because Voltec or SECTA, if you will, was named the number one magnet school in the nation. It's right here in our valley. And so uh, we have a lot of work to do, but I think some some things are worth celebrating. But well, how can we do more? Again, how uh, can we make sure that this K-12 through pipeline aligns with what you're doing at UNLV and Nevada State College and CSN? And more importantly, all of it aligns with what the needs of industry are today and in the future. So there's at least there's just a, there's at least a couple of different perspectives to that, and one is is that yeah they they start in the K through 12, but that shouldn't be that all the experience is the K through 12. Um, one one of my hopes is is that we're able to um, both uh, my institution as well as as our little confederacy of, of of folks work together to have more summer programs to be able to help students across the year. Um, you know the. I just guess it's personally one of the things that I worry about is that um, we have students that that become you know they're interested in something, but there's no outlet for that uh, interest. There's no outlet for that ambition, and I think summer programs are just one possible way. They're one way in a, in in uh, you know many things need to to be in place, but it's one of those things where you can keep that student's energy and excitement and and talent that we're developing in them, if we can have more uh, experiences. And I want to have more of those at UNLV, and I want to have more that are connected um, so that we create, um, we use this uh, analogy of a pipeline, but it's a pipeline that has like 50 different connectors to it because students have different ideas of what they want to do. It changes over time, and we want to make sure that we're places that are actually really good for choosing some of those other opportunities and pursuing whatever it may be. Um, I think um, the the other piece about it of trying to figure out what industry really needs, and and I would say our engineering program um, and, and others too, but the engineering one just sticks out. They're they're doing that. It's it's a tough little dance. Academics are trained, and we know all of this stuff, and so we think we know what students need. But it's your point of that. Well, industry has needs too, and so it's been difficult. But but like I said, our 
engineering program is, is doing a really good job of, at trying to figure out and working with industry to say, what are the skills that you actually need for the kinds of jobs that you're doing? Um, I can remember one conversation going on, um, and it was about how people were actually using data and collecting data and using Excel. And it's like, well, we have that in our first grand challenges class or something like that, um, but they needed to learn how to do this one little thing in it. And so they've added it to it. So those students are going to be better prepared maybe for an internship before they go off and maybe then getting a job later on because we've taken elements of what, um, you know, and they have to be things in common. It can't just be what one uh, particular sector needs. It has to be overall of basic kinds of skills that our students need for the 21st century. And so um, we're, we're doing that. We just need to do more of it. Um, we need to do more of it in other areas uh, other than, than engineering of, of understanding those things. And, and then I would add one of the things that I think we're doing more universally, it's not by a college or a department, is the idea that um, in my experience, I've worked with Google and Amazon and, and, and that group before and gone out to California and talked to them. And what I was amazed at was, and I, I asked the person to repeat it because I didn't believe it. They said, well, we really don't care what degree they get. Don't you want them to have computer science? Well, yeah, you know, that's good. But we have people in English and in biology. And, and I said, well, so what makes a successful person? And what they said is that, well, it's pretty good if they learn Python. That's, I, I think that it's the program du jour right now, and it may even change. They said, but more than anything else, we need people that actually have what I like to call emotional intelligence. I don't just yeah. call it that. Um, but it's those other kinds of soft skills. But you... You don't learn those in a traditional class, or you can, you know, uh, we don't, I don't think we have a lot of classes that specifically teach that, but we want our students to have those other kinds of experiences where they get to learn those sorts of things. I just mentioned to you that I was at um, uh, the Latino uh, Youth Leadership Conference, mm -hmm. and a couple of the, the points that I was making was, is that, you know, when you get out there and get to do stuff, you'll learn those kinds of soft skills, but one of the things that we're struggling with with the pandemic is sitting in your room all by yourself, maybe being on camera for a few seconds. That's It's not going to be the same. We need you to learn those other things because they are going to turn into jobs because there are other skills where you take the technical information and you learn how to work with people because problems don't get solved all by yourself for the most part. You need to be able to work with a team, to be able to communicate, to manage with your professional, to manage conflict, all of those kinds of things. And so we as a university are actually taking on that and making like little certificates that students can get. And what I like about it is it's free. It's, it's not something you got to pay tuition for, but you got to take the time to invest in doing it. That's really good, Keith. In a time where you hear a lot of complaining that academia is not listening and that they're out of date, it's great to hear that UNLV is, uh, when they're trying to solve the supply-demand equation, is really listening to the demand side and focusing on that. That's fantastic. Good for our region. Um, you have, uh, as we did a little research on you, you have authored and co-authored over 200 publications and raised or been awarded uh, over $20 million from multiple organizations in your work. But your current research focuses on the relationship between stress and longevity in African-American families. We all know there's been a lot of stress over these past two years on all families, but in this particular case, we would love to, to hear a little bit more about this very unique research um, why did you pick it, and what do you hope to get out of it when you're done? Oh, I mean, you're killing me, man. You, <laughs> you got to remember, uh, I'm 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 the president of UNLV, but I'm still I'm still a professor at heart and in my mind. 
And so when you set that up, I'm ready to give you an hour-long conversation. <laughs> I'll give you the short piece of it. Um, I, I think you hit on something where when we started that study, we, we really weren't predicting a pandemic. Um, but it is the idea that stress actually is connected to many poor out health outcomes, and particularly in African-Americans. And when you look at it over time, you see that it's just kind of consistent that there's this difference. And so one of the hypotheses that I have is that, you know, stress to some degree is learned. And so where do you learn it from? Guess what? You learn it within your family. Um, you know, and it's funny, too, because you can always have that brother or sister that, wow, they're completely different. You know, they don't see the world like like mom and dad taught us to see the world or whatever. But more times than not, you see lots of similarities. And so we're taking a look and seeing among siblings and also between kids and their parent, how much they're alike in terms of how they perceive stress, how they perceive discrimination, what their health is like, um, uh, how resilient they are, lots of different things, and trying to look at similarities and see if those are more similar within families than if you were not related at all. So um, some of the things that we've been finding, and it's we are really just shutting down the data collection piece and starting the analytical piece, and that is, is that you do find some similarities of stress. And I'm sorry, I got to give you the other piece of it. So one of the interesting pieces is, is that we've got two different types of families. There's a short-lived family where the parents have passed away, typically from, and it is, it's their stress-related illnesses, cardiovascular disease, even cancer, uh, diabetes, all of those have a stress component to them. And then we have the longer-lived families where we have siblings and then their parent participates. And sure enough, so far, what we find is, is that the families that are in the long-lived ones report less stress. So, you know, we're just getting our feet, you know, kind of set to figure out how all of this actually uh, translates. But thinking that um, as well, part of this, because it's a study of longevity to some degree, and it's interesting, in our long-lived families, these are people in their 80s and 90s and 100s who have lived, and this is in a group that's predicted to live shorter lifespan. So, you kind of ask the question, hey, what are they doing? Because if they're supposed to live shorter, but they live longer, what it is it about what they may eat, how they think about the world, how they perceive the world? Um, what is it, can we figure out what is it that may make them different than other folks who in families actually don't live as long? The genetics is a piece of it. I do dabble and do stuff with genetics. Um, but it's, it's the behavioral and social stuff that I'm most interested in and I'm most curious about as to seeing how that's going to contribute to the health and longevity of people. And my ultimate goal is, is that while we're studying African-Americans, it's just because they're a perfect population because they have the, you know, for men in particular, have the lowest life expectancy. So people who live really long. They're really exceptional survivors. So trying to figure out, if we can figure out what some of the things are there, we can test them in other populations and see if the same kinds of relationships, same kinds of factors hold. Wow. Uh, first of all, that's uh, fascinating, but I really enjoyed seeing you just light up about <laughs> your research. That was fantastic. Like you said, you have a, a very a role, uh, but I really could tell, and a role that you do very well, we're very lucky to have you, but I could tell how your your passion just ignited when we talked about this, and so I'd love to continue to hear next time we go to lunch more about that. Oh, you got to get my, my next paper. I've got to get a, I've got to get a paper out before the end of the year. I think I, I only have two or three this year. Okay. Um, I, I'm, I am a different kind of president, because every, everybody doesn't do this, and, and it's honestly, it ties in with what you do, which is, is that 
Um, even I was a provost previously. I, I've always, I kept publishing. Whereas other people, you know, present job, administrative jobs are big jobs. Um, but I just refused to give that up. And I was collaborating so much that some of the collaborations that I set up, they're producing publications. So, you know, I had six or seven last year, probably going to get three or four, hopefully this year. Um, but I think what's so interesting is, and this is what I have heard from you on a number of occasions, um, we're looking for talent. And what we've got to do is to figure out how people, we can take their passion and tie it to talent. That's the reason. I just, I am, I'm fascinated by it. And so I can like switch off and be the little nerdy academic person. And then I, you know, have to switch on and think about uh, a university. But I keep that other piece of it because I'm passionate about it. But also I'm passionate about the presidency stuff too. Um, somebody asked me today, um, you know, when is it, when is it the best, you know, there's hard days and bad days. When is your best days? My single best days, there's usually a, three or four of them is graduation is when we see those young people and not even not so young people actually get across the finish line, that that's what all of what we strive, we strategize, we think about, we're predicting that's what it's for. And what I like about what you've said, because it's, I feel like it's how I live. And that is, is that if you get to do stuff that you're passionate about, oh my gosh, there's no better life. But, you know, your passions can change over time, too. And that's the reason why lifelong learning is important. And you've said these same things to me before. And that's why, you know, I'm one of your biggest fans. But I think it is that passion piece. I think if we can uh, get people connected with their passion, um, then you get somebody who's doing great things in terms of the workforce. They're taking care of their family. They're doing all those things. And they really enjoy what they're doing. They're not, you know, people like for me, it's more than a job. Um, but you know, everybody doesn't get the benefit or the blessing that I have, um, to have this incredible job and this incredible opportunity, but I want to get as many people as they can doing stuff that they really actually are passionate about. Cause I know it's made a difference in my life. I so much appreciate that you said that. Cause I know as we've gotten to know each other, uh, we have common passions. Food's one of them. We both like good food. Um, and we've been, <laughs> you to- know, better restaurants than I do <laughs> well, though. That's why I like now, hanging out with you. <laughs> you're you're going to get to know them all. Uh, but I really love that you uh, picked up on that because I, uh, hopefully one day you meet my daughter too, but she every day texts me Keith about her day because she's passionate about physical therapy and sports and high performance. And, and I'm so grateful that she is in a place where work doesn't seem like work, that she gets fulfillment. And, and if we could find a way to connect everybody to their passion, what a, you know, what a greater place it would be. Um, as we near the end of the podcast, I wanted to kind of project to the future because you got here in the most complicated of times. I mean, you know, we all felt, oh my gosh, how is uh, Keith going to handle this? And you did uh, marvelously through the the challenges. You're, you know, you're bringing us out now really strong. Uh, We know, we all hear and know that UNLV has over the past few years built some really good assets, the new football center and, you know, multiple new buildings, um, but I would like to hear from you, uh, if you were to project five years, what do you see at UNLV? I mean, the, the tier one thing was great. Uh, you know, what are the things that Keith wants to see happen at UNLV in the next five years? Well, see, I have to be careful because I'm, I'm deathly afraid that uh, some of my cabinet, some of our faculty are listening mm. and they'll say, he wants to do what? Oh, my <laughs> gosh. Um, you know, it's funny. Uh, I, I did. I came in August of 2020. So, you know what, we were six months into the pandemic, something like that. Um, And 
you know, in some ways it actually wasn't the worst time in the world to start, believe it or not, because it was smaller. So it was a little easier to get your head around, you know, a 30 plus thousand uh, student institution with four or 5,000 faculty and staff um, trying to get your head around all of it. And that Vegas, this is a very unique place. Putting it together, it actually helped to almost be going a little bit slower, but it also tantalized me about what's possible here. There is so much possible in this valley. There's so much possible at UNLV. And our struggle is, and I guess it's easy for me because I haven't been here trying to do this for 10 years or 20 years or 30 years. And so I can have outrageous ambition about tons of things that we can do. So, for example, um, our engineering program, I'll cite it again, uh, has grown about 120% in the last 10 years. I want to see if we can grow at another like 40% because I think um, there's there's a lot of jobs that need engineers. Um, our nursing program is absolutely incredible. It's it's one of the best ones, both uh, I think it's the online one and the in-person one. Just top-notch. I'd like to be able to grow that because, again, that's another in-demand, you tell me all the time, in-demand um, uh, uh, occupation that would be great to grow. But there's other things that we're doing as well that um, – you know, honestly, there's a long list, but I'll give you a couple of my favorites. One of my favorites is around economic development. Uh, I know from having talked to folks that economic development has been talked about for forever of that, you know, when, during the downturn, you said, oh, yeah, you know, Vegas, we need to we need to diversify our economy. Um, but I think this has been something, the pandemic has been something that really challenged folks. And one of the things that your higher ed institutions can do, and particularly UNLV, is be able to help. Uh, not only help kind of the the executive, but also be able to help the young entrepreneur or the new entrepreneur that's there. And so one of the things that's happening out at uh, our research park, uh, the Harry Reid Research and Technology Park, and it's being led by uh, Bo Bernhardt, who is just is amazing. He's, but, you know, we started off with like a handful of companies. There's over 100 companies that are out there. This is a place that people want to come to. I think there were a lot of vegans that thought, you know, well, you know, it's really just a hotel. No, this there's a lot of things that are attractive about coming to Las Vegas and that if we can help grow them, we think everybody's going to benefit. Now, we'll benefit because our students will have, you know, more jobs to be able to go to. They'll have experiences from people that are uh, in industry and, and just outside of Las Vegas so that you get a worldview of things. Um, there's lots of benefits that can happen to that, but that's something that we have uh, have uh, been investing in, and we're going to continue to invest and have more pieces, and you're going to see that research park grow. I think when you said five years, is like, oh, okay. Um, I, I'd like to see us change our curriculum ever so slightly. I think that um, if we could add the idea of doing research or community service um, together with it, and it's at the same time, we don't need to add any more hours to getting a degree. So it's it's a tough thing because you say, well, I need to teach the students all these things, but we want to have these other experiential things happen for them. And so um, that's something that I know the provost is interested in working on, we're trying to do. And then the last thing I'll say, because, again, we can go on forever. One of the things that we're embracing is the idea that for all institutions of higher ed, we're trying to teach people and train people for jobs that don't exist. When you're real about that, it starts to scare you because you're like, well, you know, I've always just taught English and this is what we've taught folks. Or we've done biology and this is what we've taught. But what what are the intersections that people are going to run into? What are the different kinds of skill sets that people are going to have? And so 
the term lifelong learning gets used a lot, and it's that is life. We are going to have to continue. That's just the society that we live in. But what is it as a university we can do to try to train people to be ready for that lifelong learning, to be ready for those new kind of job opportunities that will come? And it's the lifelong learning. It said, yeah, we want to train you to be able to learn, you know, learning to learn. Uh, But in addition, we want you to think, yeah, maybe you go back to school for something and that that's not an odd thing to think about doing. Um, But I think trying to make sure that we design an education at UNLV, which is, it's already fantastic, but one that has some really good flexible points to it so that people can make those shifts or even think about coming back if they need to. Um, If they get in and they say, hey, I'm really passionate about this, I want to do more. Come back and get those, those other skills that you need. And there may be different ways to deliver that. And so those are the kinds of things we're struggling with, but trying to figure out. But that's, we're going to be there in five years. This is, we're going to be an absolutely outstanding institution up and above what we already are. I'll tell you one last thing to conclude on uh, that we're engaging in, and it's going to take some time to develop. But one of the things that we struggle with is um, we don't have enough diversity in our faculty. Now, this isn't just our problem. This is a national problem. Um, there's a really small number of, of, of folks of color who go into uh, higher ed. And so lots of schools have issues around diversity in their faculty. Um, well, we've joined with a group of the other 20 Research One Hispanic-serving institutions to say, we're going to go after federal money. We're going to talk to our legislators. We're going to do anything we can to try to produce more PhDs Really encourage them to go into academia because you can do lots of other things with a doctorate degree or even a master's degree. But entice them to come into academia so that students coming through have someone that may look like them to be able to see when they take a class. And that's something that we think we're going to move the needle on by the time we get down down the road in five years. Well, after listening to you, Keith, the future is nothing but bright at, at UNLV. Uh, you can count us in as your partners. I think I love how you um, part of the reason uh, when we are successful, I think, is because we have great teams behind us. And you mentioned, you know, Bo Bernard and Jamie Schwartz over there at that building. That building is fantastic. I don't know how many people know that Blackfire building, but when you go there, whether it's uh, the robot following Bo around <laughs> or the, the sheets that, don't, you know, that regenerate, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that building is amazing. And so I think that, like you said, the future is bright for UNLV. And uh, again, Workforce Connections will be your partner wherever you need us. I will call you because you mentioned nursing. And in my mind, there is a grant that just came out to scale up nursing programs. And so I'm going to call you uh, today or tomorrow. You can connect me with, again, the, the right member of your staff. So that Dean, maybe we can Dean Angela Amar is unbelievable. She is fantastic. And so uh, I would love to connect. And, and she's always, like all of us are, always looking for more resources. So. Right. We'll do that. Keith, thank you for being here today with us uh, at the WC Podcast. Well, and thank you for, uh, I mean, I've been here just about two years now, uh, and you were one of the first persons that connected with me, and it made a difference in me being able to understand and get my feet set and to understand the incredible potential that's here, the great people that are in the Valley, and the, the great work that you guys do. It is still, I think, underappreciated. But I will say from my perspective, from UNLV's perspective, we really appreciate all the work that you're doing and want to be a future partner in more things. We look forward to it, Keith. Thank you. Thank you. So that's it for another episode of the WC Podcast. We hope to see you at the next one. Until then, stay safe.